The book is called Proverbs. Now, God promises us that we will be wise. Everybody will be wise if they listen to the Lord. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the words of God. And today in Proverbs chapter one, in five minutes, we're going to look at this wisdom God is talking about. It's very interesting. Corey and Ryan are here in 20 minutes. Corey. All right, I'm going to be talking about the House of David in the Bible and the House of David in history. Ryan? Today I'm talking about a word used hundreds of times in the Bible, and that word is fear. And the question is why? Why is there so much fear in the Bible? Yeah, Jesus Christ said over 300 times, do not fear. Very interesting. Janice? The beginning of knowledge. All right, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage because it's a good one as we study Proverbs chapter one. Let's listen to what God says to us. Proverbs one, one through seven. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel, to understand a proverb and an enigma the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The book of Proverbs, this word actually means words for a living. In other words, Proverbs is named for us to read the words and see them. That's what it's trying to capture there. And as we focus on this, it becomes very important to understand that God's wisdom does not have a limit. The book of Proverbs is designed to equip God's people with wisdom that enables them to function well in a sin-cursed world. This world is not right. Sin has affected it. Now, this is no easy assignment since Solomon is the main contributor to the book of Proverbs. The Hebrew title of the book is called Proverbs of Solomon. The rabbinical writings call the Proverbs the Book of Wisdom. The Proverbs should not be seen as absolute truths, but rather as truthful concepts and guidance that can be applied to life. One good example is this, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Proverbs chapter 15, verse one. Of course, we can't imagine a scenario in which soft answer does not turn away wrath, but generally this is a great truth to apply. I can only imagine what the landscape of social media would be like if even most people applied this particular rule things would be different, wouldn't they? <laughs> Let's not be like the fool who loves ignorance and despises wisdom and instruction, but let's seek after God in love, awe and reverence and trust, which is, of course, 
the beginning of knowledge, according to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Now, if you have your Bible guide, turn to the page today that talks about the call of wisdom. And we're going to uh, encourage you that if you don't have one, you can write to us or you can call us or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on it there. It takes you to a page. Thank you so much for your donations. Very much appreciate them. It's very important to hear what we say, and that is we live on your donations. So that's very, very important. Now, I want to say that as we do this, it goes to a page after that where you can download it exactly like we printed it, and you can have your own Bible guide online. Now let's pray and let's ask the Lord to show us his way and teach us his path, because we don't need to take our ideas and pour them in. But what we need to do is take the word of God and apply it to our heart. That's what we need to do. So Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would take the Proverbs as we read through them and that you would apply them to our hearts so that we would see them. What you've said and how you've said it is very important for us. So help us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. Now, with that in mind, let's look at the very first verse of Proverbs. It says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. That's the establishment of who he was. To know wisdom and instruction. Wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. Wisdom, instruction, and understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom justice, judgment, and equity. Verse three, verse four, to give prudence to the simple, to make the simple wise, to the young man, to give him knowledge and discretion. What does this mean? God promises that if we read these words and take and consider them, they will make us wise. Now, notice that we are not naturally wise people. Wisdom generally is in different levels. We have to teach people the wisdom of how to eat, children and babies. We have to teach them wisdom of not demanding their own way and lying to us and all that. Then we have to teach them wisdom of not running out in front of a car. And we have to teach them wisdom of where to play and how to do that. Those are practical wisdom points. But then when the adulthood comes, we have to learn wisdom from the Lord about how to deal with each other and how to be able to handle each other. That's a different kind of wisdom. We get later in life, we deal with the wisdom of how people act in groups. This is very important. So beloved, we need to understand that the Proverbs is teaching us this. And as we make a commitment to the Lord, to Proverbs, this is what he shows us. So Think about that. Keep that in mind. Now, with that in mind, let's go to the next proverb. It says, a wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. So a man who has understanding will get wise counsel. To, the, to understand a proverb and an enigma. A proverb and an enigma. The words of the wise and their riddles. This is fascinating. God says that wise people learn from God and become wiser. Wisdom comes from God 
and is an attitude of the spirit, not only of the mind. Uh, This is very important because spiritual wisdom is so critical. Spiritually, God makes us alive through the power of his Holy Spirit when we come and give our life to him and recognize that he died on the cross and rose again, and we take him as Lord, our spirit's alive. But wisdom comes when the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to teach our spirit. So we grow as we have experience with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've often thought that Boy, the Holy Spirit must be really disciplined because he holds back in the teaching. We only go so fast in teaching and learning this. But the Holy Spirit spends our life teaching us the wisdom of God. That's very important. We need to capture that and get a hold of that in our lives. So spiritual aspect of this is important. But this takes me to another proverb, which I want to focus our attention on because we need to really pay attention here. This is how Proverbs is. Every once in a while, it gives you a verse that you need to really think about. Proverbs 1, verse 7. Here's what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this is absolutely fascinating. Now, think about this. When we respect God, fear is not being afraid of. But fear is respect. Fear is reverence. Now, the best way to explain this is there are different kinds of fear. And if I were to come into a room with a gun and say, get on your knees, well, you get on your knees because I have a gun. But if somebody came in the room, like, for example, the former Billy Graham, and he said you would humble yourself simply because of the greatness that God has projected in his life. There's a difference. You see, beloved, you don't need weapons. God's wisdom that he gives you changes us. And we need to understand that that's the beginning. The beginning of all knowledge is wisdom of finding God. When we find the Lord, our abilities to learn just totally hit the roof. And it's great. And we begin to learn carefully if we listen to the word of God, pray every day, read the word of God, and we begin to ask the Lord to show us who he is. And I want to ask the Lord to show you this wisdom today. Father, I pray, I love Proverbs. You know, this is a book that I was reading when I came to know you and gave my life to you. And I pray, Father, that we would continue to learn it. We would continue to understand it as the Holy Spirit continues frequently to teach us things in our spirit. Help us to learn what you've said, because today in the times that we live right now, this is when we need wisdom. This is when we need understanding. And this is when we need the knowledge of God. So help us today to hear you and understand you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, amen. But A lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. You know, the very first verse in Proverbs chapter one, so the very first verse of Proverbs lets us know 
who's writing this, whose book Proverbs is, and that is the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Being a son of David was a big deal first in the United Kingdom of ancient Israel and then in the split kingdom in uh, the the southern country of Judah because the, the lineage of David, the descendants of David, were heirs to the throne of Jerusalem. Uh, you know, a dynasty that David founded. And now, a way, an ancient way to talk about a dynasty would be saying the house of, and then you insert the dynasty founder. Well, of course, in this case, it's the house of David. Interestingly, the house of David is also known from history. Take a look. That King David existed as a historical person was settled in the 1990s. The discovery of the partial remains of a monumental stella at Tel Dan, the first fragment in 1993 and the second in 1994, coincided with a re-examination of another stella called the Mesha Inscription or Moabite Stone. Both monuments were erected by enemies of Israel and Judah, and both mention the royals of Judah as belonging to the House of David. In a phrase like House of David, the house is not a literal building, but is metaphorical, referring to the dynasty of a founding father, the descendants of an establishing king. Famously, the Bible records that God promised to build David a house, again, meaning a lineage, not a physical palace. The Tel Dan Stella is named for the city it was discovered in. We know it today only in part from those fragments found in secondary use in the early 90s. Scholars deduce from its contents and age that it was written by Hazael of Damascus, an Aramean king of the city-state of Damascus that's featured heavily in the Bible and had great success warring against Israel and Judah. The inscription commemorated his victories over Israel and Judah and would have stood in the gate of Dan for decades until the city was recaptured by Israel's King Jehoash and likely at that point smashed into its fragments and reused as building materials. Its fragments today record whole, partial, and implied names of several biblical kings and lists the kings of Judah as of the house of David. The House of David is also referred to in the Mesha inscription that records the same event from a different perspective as 2 Kings chapter 3. This inscription was commissioned by Mesha, king of Moab, enemy of Israel and Judah, at that time ruled by Joram and Jehoshaphat. The inscription also mentions Omri, verifies that Chemosh was the Moabite national deity, and several other elements of Moabite culture mentioned in the scriptures. Interestingly, there's also a disputed mention of David's name recorded in a victory inscription of Pharaoh Shishak, who attacked Judah during the reign of David's grandson Rehoboam. This Egyptian inscription refers to a portion of Judah as the Heights of David. There are also several lines of physical evidence for David's kingdom to be found in archaeological data from the 10th century BC. In a newly released study, scholar Josef Garfinkel brings together excavation reports and archaeological surveys from four sites to argue that evidence for a centralized government in Judah during David's reign can be demonstrated. Garfinkel believes that the core of David's kingdom began with four cities before expanding ever outwards, a picture that melds well with the biblical account. Garfinkel's excavations also revealed evidence for the architectural style of Solomon's temple in the form of a small shrine, and for the Bible's record of King Rehoboam's building activities. 
So there we go. A little bit of a primer of, of David in history. So how we know or, or how we're able to track uh, the historical reality of David and his sons in history. Now, you know, as soon as Assyria marches onto the pages of the Bible, we see the kings of Israel really start popping up uh, in ancient records as well. But, you know, as far back as David and even Saul, it's much more difficult because there's less interaction of Israel with nations that were record-keeping nations. So you have to do a little bit, you know, more circumstantial work. Uh, so... Yeah. Very, very interesting. Now, How we do it. Yeah, that's right. Now, <laughs> we have a very important event coming up Friday. Yes. And it's on your webpage. Tell us about that event. It's on YouTube. Yes, my YouTube channel, which is my name, Corey Bavechko. Uh, we are going live here in the studio. We're doing a weekend program live. So we're going to be talking, we're going to be discussing questions that pop up as we read through the Bible. And we're going to have a live chat available where we're going to be interacting with you if you're there and answering your questions as well. So check it out, 3.30 Eastern time this Friday, June 16th going to be great. Yeah, it is. I look forward to that because we're going to have a chance to be together yeah. with your husband, yeah. who is awesome. And uh, we'll talk about it. So that'll be excellent. Make sure you join us, Ryan. All right. Well, today I'm talking about fear. And let's be honest, the word fear shows up more than a few times throughout the Bible. And this has caused a lot of its readers to wonder why, why there is so much fear in the Bible. I mean, isn't God's word supposed to provide us comfort and hope rather than fill us with worry, dread, and fright? Well, as we study this topic, I want you to keep a key verse from 1 John 4, 18 in mind. And it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, if this sounds contradictory with some of the other passages that you've read on fear, just wait, because we need to delve in deeper. So let's do that. Fear. It is a word that appears in the English translations of the Bible some 450 times, with approximately 350 of those occurrences in the Old Testament alone. And several of these refer specifically to the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. This fact has caused a lot of readers, particularly non-Jewish readers, to ask why. Why is there so much fear in the Bible? Solving this mystery ultimately requires looking beyond the English and into the Hebrew language behind it. The Hebrew word is yirah, and is much broader in meaning than our English word fear. Indeed, our English word fear narrowly focuses on being afraid. To us, fear is the opposite of trust, and is synonymous with worry, dread, or fright. But yirah encompasses a much wider range of meanings, from the negative dread and terror, to the positive worship and reverence, and from a mild respect to a strong awe. In fact, there are many instances in the Bible where Yirah isn't about being afraid at all, but instead showing honor and respect. In Leviticus 19.3, for example, we're instructed to revere, or Yirah, our mother and father. Similarly, in Leviticus 19.30, we're commanded to keep God's Sabbaths and to revere to Yirah, his sanctuary. Yirah is also used in a strong positive sense in Proverbs when it declares that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Even though this type of fear refers to a humble reverence and awe, due to our narrow understanding of this word, a lot of Christians tend to see it as a negative thing, fearing the punishment that God could give us for our deeds. 
Of course, we will all stand before God's judgment seat one day, but those whose sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ shouldn't have this kind of fear anymore. Rather, our fear should be a shrinking back in recognition of the difference or holiness of God and the drawing close in awe and worship. To fear the Lord is not to experience a dread that paralyzes all action, but neither is it just a plight respect. It is an attitude of both reluctance and adoration that results in a willingness to do what God says. And according to the teachings of Proverbs, this proper attitude of the creature toward the Creator is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. That is, true knowledge and wisdom flow from the fear or reverence of the Lord. Clearly, Yirah isn't exclusively negative. Like many other Hebrew words, it has a double-edgedness to it. It can be either positive or negative, depending on the context. God's enemies fear him, but his people show him reverent, worshipful awe. So as you can clearly see, the Hebrew word translated as fear is a lot broader in meaning than our English word. While it can be in the negative dread and terror sense, it can also be in the positive worship, reverence, and respect sense. And in order to know which meaning is meant in any given passage, you need to pay attention to the context. And understanding the meaning of this Hebrew word also helps resolve any apparent contradictions between these fear passages. And don't get the wrong idea here. Just because we no longer have to fear God in the dread and terror sense, it doesn't give us the right to live however we want. Because some people think that they can just come to Christ and then keep on practicing in their sin because of God's grace. But this shows that there was no fear of God in them in the first place. The fear of God, knowing that the penalty for even just one sin is death, is meant to drive us to repentance and into a relationship with Jesus Christ, who mercifully paid our sin debt. A repentance is a crucial part of salvation. As a matter of fact, the very first word Jesus spoke when he began his public ministry was repent. Of course, we all sin from time to time, even after we're saved, but we shouldn't make excuses for it or make light of it. We need to acknowledge that it is wrong and ask God to forgive us, and he will. In fact, it does say in 1 John, ask God to forgive you and he will. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Ryan. Janice? And thank you, Ryan. Yes, because, you know, as you were, as you were just uh, talking about your segment, I couldn't help but be reminded of Job. Mm. You know, at, at the end of the chapter, when God begins to ask him questions, he says, stand up, I'm going to ask you questions. I want you to stand up and answer them yeah. like as a man. Mm -hmm. and, and, and at first you're thinking, oh, poor Job. But what it actually does is put that, that knowledge, that fear, that, that positive fear into Job so that he recognizes, oh, yes, you are creator God. You are all powerful. You are majestic. You are big enough. You are enough for any situation or any struggle, any trial, anything that I face in life. I can trust you because you are Lord and you are God. And that's what I really wanted to talk about today. So thank you, Ryan, for, for that segment that, that already sets our mind knowing what this fear of the Lord is. Because Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, we can, we can 
hear the words of God, we can be like Job and stand there and will we still defend ourselves? Will we still defend our position? That is a decision that we each of us have to make. God gives us the free will to choose whether we believe that he is who he is or who we think that he is, or if his word really is his word, or whether we just take the parts that we like and discard the rest. Oh, God couldn't mean that because of this. Those are personal decisions that we will be held, I believe, accountable before God for our decisions. I love that this is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of knowledge. None of us has ever, has arrived. As Ryan has said, he's pointed out, be, just because we're followers of God doesn't mean we're not going to sin. We will sin, but it doesn't give us license to sin. When we give our hearts over to the Lord, we say, you know what, God, I choose to follow you. Please help me to follow you. I'm going to turn away from sin. And he does. He gives us help, but we have to stay focused. We have to stay disciplined. We need to come to the, the Lord in prayer. We need to come to the, to his word and, and help ask for his help as we read the scriptures so that we can learn it and not just have it in our head, but have it in our hearts so that we can apply it in our lives. I've said it oftentimes before. You know, I love cooking books. I love gardening books. I love to look at the pictures. I like to read the information. But if I don't actually apply the things that I've learned, I'm not a gardener. I'm not a cook because I've never, I've never done those things. I've read it, but I haven't applied it. So as we go through the Bible, as we see this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's a positive fear in that it's our worship. It's our reverence. It's our respect. It's our awe for who God is. But on the contrary, fools despise wisdom and instruction. They say, nope, you know what? I already know I've arrived. I don't need any more wisdom or I can get my wisdom from over here or over there. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have a decision to make today. Do you believe that or don't you? Today, I want to remind you that BD Family and Friends is a channel that we have. We do seven different programs at this studio, Studio 34. And I want to tell you that we air them on BD Family and Friends. Now, if you go to Bible Discovery TV, you can watch the programs there. They're on video on demand, but also we have a live channel. And on the live channel, we have things like Just the Facts, an old program we did 25 years ago. I'll tell you, I never thought that I would ever reach this place. But anyway, uh, that's very important and go there. It's also on Roku channel. It's on Firestick TV and all the other places. It's also on your phone if you desire. We pray today, Lord, I desire to become wise. Help me today in Jesus name. And we said together, amen.